0: welcome to the afternoon show i'm bill arnold working harder than i've ever
1: worked (laughs) what is so funny all of a sudden you guys
0: are laughing that
1: we know you bill you you have made this a very entertaining day yes well you know
0: i'm trying to delegate some responsibilities today because i think my power panel for guy talk are slacking a little now and then so i'm just trying to make sure i keep them sharp Mm -hmm. so you are listening to guy talk
2: or guys you talk yeah and if you have a Question, then you want to call or text in to 877-933-2484. See, these guys guys are trainable. They're getting better. The first hour was horrible, i got to (laughs) say. You guys were
0: sloppy all over the map. I don't, I don't know. When do we get to be the host?
2: Uh, uh, <laughs> just just make sure that everyone that's listening understands what he's talking about is just the intro to the show, not the answers we're getting. Yes, exactly. That's very true. The answers have
0: been impeccable today. So, if you do have a question, let, let us know what you'd like us to answer. Uh, we'd love to to get your question eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four again eight seven seven nine Three three two four, eight four. All right. Uh, let's see. Can you explain six
3: sixty six meaning in Revelations thirteen? Comes after six six five. I have a list of uh, kind of jokes on the number six sixty six, and uh, it's just kind of funny. Anyway, the six sixty six is the number of his name, and his name is the beast, or uh, the beast that comes out of the earth, or commonly referred to as the antichrist Mm -hmm. it's the second beast of revelation 13 who is often called the false prophet who is the one who institutes this mark of the beast um so it says in scripture in in revelation 13 that no one this is by the way during the tribulation period during the seven year future tribulation period that's going to come upon the earth that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast um we we don't exactly know what form it's going to take or what it's going to look like. Some think it's a tattoo. It says in scripture, either on the forehead or on the back of the hand. The right hand, yeah. Some today believe that it might be some kind of biochip that's implanted in in people. Some thought that it might be some kind of uh, uh, vaccine passport that you wouldn't be able to buy or sell when when COVID was going on and the whole vaccine tracking stuff was going on. There's been lots and lots of theories. The answer is we don't know. The good news is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, in other words, the church will be caught up prior to this time of tribulation coming on the earth, we won't be here. We won't be here. And remember, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So even if the church happened to be here for some reason, I don't think that's true, but you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, you have eternal life, and so you don't need to worry at all about the mark of the beast. Good word.
1: Yep. Who's who's pointing? I, I brought it up, I looked at the text, uh, Revelation thirteen eighteen. you know, it says, this calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, we have this I don't know exactly what that man is or what he's going to do, but Jeffrey, absolutely right. Christians, regardless of what happens, have nothing to fear. Our fate is sealed by the blood of Jesus, and that's what we hang on to. And I think that's so important. I've had the privilege of talking with Holocaust survivors, and uh, I'm old enough to be able to do that. They're almost all gone now, but among those that are are Christian Holocaust survivors, they said it was horrible. They've never been so hungry, they were so defeated. And yet, their faith that Jesus was going to be the final word made all the difference in the
2: yeah. world. Some scholars have said that the number of the beast, which is 666, may actually symbolize um, uh, creaturely deficiency as the number of a man in contrast to the divine completeness uh, sy- uh, symbolized by seven. So that that's another way of yeah. looking at it as well. Yep. Yesterday, I talked. With a guest, we were discussing Job thirteen
0: fifteen that says, "Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him." Mm. Amazing, mm. isn't it? It mm. is just amazing. All right, uh, let me move on to my next question. Let's see, is it a good idea to ask God forgiveness of sins every day in order to have a true repentance?
2: Well, first of all, when we talk about forgiveness, there's two types of forgiveness. There's positional forgiveness and relational forgiveness. Positional forgiveness is given to you at the moment that you receive Jesus Christ, that God sees you through his Son, through the finished work of the cross. What's imputed to you, you're justified, just as if you'd never sinned. So you ask for forgiveness initially to receive Christ. The forgiveness that you ask as a Christian is not to establish the relationship. That happened at the foot of the cross when you received Christ. It's to restore a broken fellowship with your heavenly creator. So it's not a, a, a talisman where we throw out um, asking for forgiveness to make sure that we're covered. It's already been covered by the blood of Christ. The only purpose of Asking for forgiveness for the Christian is to restore a broken relationship with your Heavenly Father that was established when you first received Him. So it's usually tied to sin or uh, transgression, uh, which alienates us or separates us or breaks our fellowship. It never breaks God's love for you, it breaks some fellowship and so that needs to be restored we need to come to a place of restored fellowship with our heavenly father and ask his forgiveness uh, to restore that fellowship okay i have a confession to make
1: i'm here i am the lutheran on on this thing and i've been sitting with you guys and i've been listening and now on sunday morning for the last several months i've been saying because we always there's always some form of confession in lutheran liturgy or in lutheran and i say look if if you've given your life to jesus if you've surrendered to him You're not asking for forgiveness for salvation. You're asking to restore that relationship with him that broke down this week when you lied or when you cheated. Mm -hmm. And it's like carrying a 10-pound bowling ball. How long do you want to carry that thing around each day? Well, you want to get rid of it. And so we come to do it. And every day I go before the Lord Jesus and I, again, confess, Lord, I thought things I shouldn't have thought. I said things I shouldn't have said. Because the goal, and here's the goal, folks, the goal is for Christians to become just like Jesus. That's our goal.
3: I agree. Scripture for the believer indicates that our sins have been forgiven. And it's it's declared uh, by God in, in the past tense. In other words, like, for example, 1 Corinthians 6 says, and that's what some of you were. It lists off this list of sins or sin behaviors. But you were washed. You were sanctified Mm -hmm. or made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have received that forgiveness. God no longer counts your sins against you. He has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. And and get a load of this. Even though God is omniscient and he knows all things, he says he remembers it no more. Now, I, I think he actually doesn't forget it, like he, he, he leaves it from her mind. I think what that verse is saying is that he's no longer counting our sins against you because we've been forgiven. We've been washed clean by the blood
1: of the lamb. That kind, that for forgetting, I hear Christians say all the time, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Why can't I do that? Well, probably because you're a human being. Mm-hmm. That's got a lot to do with it. When the Bible talks about forgetting, think of a law of court. If you are declared innocent on Monday, and you're dragged back into court on Friday on something different, that court can no longer bring up that issue ever again because you were acquitted or you were forgiven on that. The Lord says, I'm not ever going to bring that up again. Now, do we have to deal with something today? We'll deal with it today. But not that anymore. It's gone. That's it, that's
3: exactly what you just described in, in a legal sense, a pardon. If you receive a pardon for a crime that you've committed and you re, you accept that pardon, you receive that pardon... Um, which is a picture of faith in Christ, that crime is gone. It's a sponge. You're no, long, no longer seen as someone who has actually committed that crime because you've been
2: pardoned. Mm-hmm. There, there's eight places in Scripture where God says that he casts our sin behind him. He blots it out. He remembers it no more. I contend that only God can make that declaration. I mm-hmm. choose to not remember it anymore. Yes. And I think that's exactly what he means. Yes. All right, what would be a good response to someone who insists on
0: using the King James version exclusively?
2: Well, thou I, it, thou, thou art No, I <laughs> it, it's interesting. I mean, if if you're I don't um object to somebody who prefers to use the King James version. I actually like the New King James Version that's brought in uh, um, more of the texts that have been found, especially the Dead Sea Scrolls. But when you're talking about um, what version is the best version, it depends on what you're using it for. For instance, if you're talking about word-for-word translations, that's where the King James or the New King James Version falls in, the uh, English Standard Version, Uh, which is a revision of the Revised Standard Version. Um, And then the second is Thought for Thought, which is more like the NIV. Um, And then you have Paraphrase, which is kind of like the Message or the Living Bible. So some people use uh, paraphrases for devotions. Um, But if you're going to study the Word of God, my advice to you is, is to get a word-for-word translation, whether it's the New King James Version or it's the ESV or the New American Standard Version is also a word-for-word translation for studying the Word of God.
1: I just have to put in a tiny challenge here. Hmm. What apostle wrote the King James Version? (laughs) St. James. Is that a trick question? No, yeah, it is a trick question, because no apostle wrote the King James Version. They wrote what became the Greek Version, and then we've translated from that. But I think that what happens is that I grew up around the King James Version. Well, King James authorized it, but he isn't the Lord. He just authorized it. And so when you make the King of England, you know, the master over which Bible you read, I've got a question, why are you doing that? Because all of them have value. Every single one of those. I, I would often sit down with eight translations at one time, mm-hmm. as well as the Greek or the Hebrew, and read through that so I could get the fullest understanding. And sometimes the King James says something that kind of blew me away and it was really good. But other times it's the ESV or mm-hmm. other times it's it's the word you know, the word or something like that. So in terms of when we say our faith is in the Bible, it is not in a translation of the Bible, it is in the author of the Bible, and that author is the Lord Jesus Himself.
0: All right, after a short break, you're going to hear some very interesting content and information in the 90 seconds between uh, this and when we return to Guy Talk. But you can send a question over, 877-933-2484. And when you feel close to God, it positively impacts every aspect of your life. But sometimes it's hard to feel God's presence at all. You want to grow closer to Him? Start with encouragement from Susie Larson when you text the word CLOSER to 877-933-2484. Hear directly from Susie when you text the word CLOSER, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. That's a good theme song for today, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. You're listening to... Guy Talk. Or... Guys, you
3: talk. And if you have a... If you have a question, text it in at 877-933-2484. And your host is Bill, Bill Arnold. Arnold. You guys, good answer.
0: Good <laughs> answer. All right. Um, can you speak about the? Oh, we're going to talk more about King James in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go oh, ahead. Oh
3: yeah, yeah. So we were talking at break a little bit. I've I've heard this phrase when we were talking about which uh, version of the Bible we should use, and and there are some out there that are King James version. Only people, and I've even heard it say that if the King James language, you know, uh, version was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And they somehow think that Jesus spoke in King King James English. Uh, the bottom line is, as as you were talking about earlier, Greg, every single English Bible version that we have is a translation of the Greek in the New Testament and the Hebrew of the Old Testament, and each one of those has taken a slightly different approach to translating the Hebrew and the Greek into English. Some take a formal equivalence. Some take a dynamo, dynamic equivalence. It's either kind of word for word or thought for thought. But all of them were done by a group of translators. Mm-hmm. So every single Bible that we have in English is not the, the the completely infallible, inaccurate Word of God because it's done by translators. You, the only version of the Bible that is absolutely perfect and infallible is the original manuscripts in
2: Hebrew and in Greek that we actually don't have. And the value of a translation depends on how true they are to those original Correct. manuscripts. And we have many remnants of those. Um, 1948, for instance, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they've even found some more. Um, that show us what was really communicated and that's what the translator's job is is what did the author mean at the time it was written for the people it was written and so when you when you're
3: deciding you, you have to go back to the oldest Greek manuscripts that you have there's actually two theories of thoughts because there's generally speaking two bodies of Greek manuscripts and so you got to decide I'm going to use this body or I'm going to use that body but in the end they're, they're the Differences between the two, though there, there's a number of them, they're actually very subtle and they don't change the meaning of the text anyway. And if you have happened to use like a Bible, like the NIV, which is one of the English translations, they will indicate uh, every single time there is a, a a question about which manuscript should use, and they'll put a little text note in there that says some manuscripts say. So, in other words, what's the best English version of the Bible? It's is the one. You're reading. All of them have their own methodologies. All of them have their own issues. But in the end, and, and that's why, as Tom said, often we need to go back to the Greek or to the Hebrew to see, hey, what did the translators do here? Why are some passages a little harder to translate than others?
2: And, and for those of you that are really want to dig in deeper, there's interlinear interlinear Bibles that show the English and then it shows the original Hebrew and Greek so you can look up those words and understand in an even greater depth in kind of uh, detail. But again, it's like you said, Jeff, it's, it's a matter of, of what do you prefer at the moment? What are you using it for? And uh, so, you know, in my home we, we have multiple Bibles. We have multiple translations. And and so it just depends on on what you're using it for.
1: When I was in seminary, I would spend hours in the library looking up, the original languages, trying to understand what they fit. Now on my iPhone, not only do I have the complete Old and New Testament in a variety of languages, I can poke my finger on any word, and it will give me the Greek word, or it will give me the Hebrew word, and it will give me the derivations of that word and what that word means. And This is something I can't even imagine anymore. This is accessible to everybody. You don't have to read Greek in order to be able to do that. You can find the Greek definition And that is a good place to go, and I recommend that for people. If you've got questions, go take a look. All right. Here's a question.
0: If Jesus doesn't remember our forgiven sin, why does Jesus say, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on Judgment Day for every
2: idle word they have spoken? That's not my idea of forgetting. First of all, he's not talking about Christians. He's talking about non-Christians and the Judgment Day in terms of giving... Um, talking about everything that they've done. There's not going to be this big uh, screen in the sky as you come to the judgment seat of Christ that's going to display your whole life. That, that used to be a popular thought years ago. The fact of the matter is the judgment seat of Christ is the only judgment that Christians go to, and it has to do with giving you the rewards for your faith uh, that you've lived out. So what scripture is really talking about in terms of every sin. It's those who have not received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, where he has cast their sin behind them.
3: Yeah, you just described the two judgments that are talked about in scripture. For unbelievers, they go to the great white throne judgment. Greg, you actually mentioned that word uh, in the first hour, and that is a judgment based on their deeds. Remember the picture They'd in Revelation? The to Christ is what you Right. Yeah, not the Great White right Throne. That's for
2: non Christians. Right.
3: Yeah. Great White Throne is for non Christians. Yeah. 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 For Christians, it's the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. So at the Great White Throne, Revelation says that books were open and yep. another book was open. The first book is the book of their deeds and they are going to be found short. Mm-hmm. And so the judgment is based on deeds, but they're there. They're at that judgment because of the next book. Their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They don't belong to the Lamb. They never had faith in Him, and that's why they're at that judgment. Believers, according to 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, go to the judgment seat of Christ. Our unrighteous acts are burned up. Anything done outside of faith is gone. It's burned up. That's the picture of the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus says, what remains, if it survives, we will be rewarded. So we are rewarded for our good deeds that are done in Christ by his power. And so you have to understand, anytime there's a passage on judgment, you have to make sure you understand, is he talking about the believer's judgment or the unbeliever's judgment? Because they're two different things.
1: And when you are, when it is the believer's judgment, judgment has already taken place on jesus that's why he went to the cross Mm -hmm. his shed blood cleansed us from all of that all of our past sin present and future our goal is to keep walking with him until the day he calls us home yeah you guys done (laughs) (laughs) do you want to add something bill no i don't (laughs)
3: you're
2: listening to guy talk guys who talk (laughs) and if you have a Question, you want to text it to 877-933-2484. Nice work, you
1: guys.
2: (laughs) All right. Um,
0: Here we are in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct, conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? And the question is, you know, bodies will disappear in fire, heavenly bodies will melt and disappear in flames. I don't understand this. That's true. Global
3: warming, right there. <laughs> the whole <laughs> Earth is going to be burned up. Yeah. Second, uh, Peter three is a great chapter. Uh, it 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 spans time from creation all the way through to consummation and the new heaven and new earth. So in the first part of the chapter, it says that the earth was formed out of water and by water. We see that water in the Genesis accounts when God makes a garden, uh, when, when he puts man in the garden and makes the earth. And then he says at the end of the age, at the end of time, this earth is going to be burned up. I relate this passage directly to that in Revelation where it says, God says, there will be a new heaven and new earth because all things are made new. So this fire that is going to come at the very end of the age, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, he's going to burn everything up, purify it, and make all things new. This is the Garden of Eden coming back once again when heaven and earth come together. They're apart right now. They're going to come together. That's what the new heaven and new earth is yeah, on, the... on this planet. All
0: right. We are going to take a very short break and come back. And we're looking for your questions still. So 877-933-2484. And we're delighted to have guy Talk happening for a, two full hours. And if you have a, a question, again, 877-933-2484. I have Jeff Verdorn. Tom Parrish and Dr. Greg Borgon as my guests. You can let them know what questions you have, easy, medium, or hard. They'll take anyone you like. We'll be right back.
2: started, jump in your car, yeah. what's for dinner, yeah. it's the Afternoon Show
0: with Bill Ardell. Welcome, I'm training the team.
2: <laughs> Today you're listening to Guy Talk, or... Guys You Talk. And if you have a qu- question, hmm. then you want to text it to 877-933-2484, but if you'd rather send email, you would email it to... Bill at MyFaithRadio.com.
0: These guys are now improved enough that I might send my stunt double next week <laughs> and see if see if they even notice I'm not here. All right,
3: uh, we're going to continue our discussion from right before the break, <clears throat> right? We we yeah, let's do that. We were talking about the new heaven and new earth, the fact that uh, everything in this earth is going to be burned up, and that happens at the end of the age when God is going to make all things new and he says and nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it it will be perfect only the righteous only the glorified righteous will ever enter into it but i wanted to focus on one last part of that passage that you read if that's true believer what kind of lives therefore shall we live if everything in this earth is going to be burned up then then I guess the question is where should we be storing up our treasures, right? Should we be storing up our treasures on earth where moth and rust
2: destroy and thieves break
3: in and steal? Or should we be storing our our treasures
2: up in heaven? And, you know, I talked to, because of my ministry, Heart of Warrior Ministries, I keep telling guys, I I said, look, um, what aroma do you want to linger long after you're gone? Yeah. What legacy do you intend to leave? It's all about... What's going to exist after you're gone in terms of uh, what you've done and how you've impacted others and the fragrance? Is it going to be a stench or is it going to be a pleasing aroma? Because I've always defined legacy as the aroma left in the nostrils of those God's called you to influence long after you're gone.
1: And I would say what would be helpful, and we ought to try to do this for just a second here, what are the things we actually ought to be doing now That's investing in the kingdom of God. One thing I'm told to do as a follower of Jesus is to forgive my enemies. Forgive those that have hurt me. I'm not going to wait till next week. You know, I'm going to do it now if I have that opportunity. Or to help somebody that's in need. And you guys probably think of a lot more things that we should be doing right now. Because I've heard this phraseology, we should live for the Lord. But what does that actually mean? Go ahead, Jeff. It says... This is the kind of people you
3: ought to be. Well, what kind of people is that? Well, you can scan the entirety of the New Testament to find all kinds of exhortations of what kind of people we ought to
2: be. We ought to be carrying the character of God. I've always seen the fruit of the Spirit that you mentioned earlier, Jeff, as an example of the values God holds dear or the character of God's heart. So when we begin to re, when we receive Jesus Christ we're given the seed of that fruit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control but it's not a matter of you having arrived it's something you have to grow so that the fruit of your life produces 30 60 or 100 so i've often given this exercise to my guys and said all right Let's make a horizontal line, a continuum, for each of these nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, along that line, on the left-hand side, you have none of it, and on the right-hand side, you have all of it. Tell me where you appear right now for each one of these elements of the fruit of, of the Spirit of God. And not only that, point an arrow in which way you're headed right now. Now, give that same test to your wife and have her do it. So it, the whole idea is is that we are growing, we are incrementally through the process of sanctification and for our involvement, and well, that's what the scripture means about working out your own salvation, to make that, the elements of that fruit evident. And the, the degree to which the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life will declare the glory of God. Have you ever had somebody say to
1: you, You know, when I was with you the other day, I felt like I was in the presence of Jesus? That's what we should be striving for. Not that we do that, we all fall short. But how often will people recognize the reality of Jesus in us? And the only way they're going to recognize this is by how we respond, how we listen, how we speak, and who we speak about.
2: And, you know, what's, what's amazing to me, Tom, Jeff, uh, Bill, is that, that for some unfathomable reason, infinite God has chosen you and I as his finite creatures and, and all of you out there to facilitate his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Mm. That's what should be the focus of our life. Those are the, That's the hill we should be dying on. That's the hill we should be bleeding on. And all these other things are hills we shouldn't be climbing at all.
0: All right, here's uh, time for a quick attaboy moment. Uh, I'm not a guy, but mom and wife and grandma of guys. You guys rock because your hearts and lives are built on the rock, Jesus Christ. Also equally important to what I learned from you, All of you make me laugh. Full belly chuckles. Thanks. (laughs) Wonderful.
3: (laughs) Can we put that on a t-shirt or something? That was awesome. I think we ought to crochet it on a pillow or
0: something. (laughs) But there's a nice question that comes with it. And it's the question regarding giving generously and blessing from God. So can you please define giving generously versus not enabling? And the passage is from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. And I can... Read that. When you give, give generously and not with a stingy heart. For that, the
2: Lord your God will bless you
0: in all your works and undertakings.
2: Well, each of us, I think, have a different understanding of what the word generous is. I've heard somebody say, until, give until it hurts. That's generosity. But each of us have an understanding of that. And the way I've always looked at giving, and, and the, the, you're right that we can't contribute to the delinquency of others uh, by enabling them. Uh, to live a a, a a flagrant life of of you know consumption or whatever it might be, so the whole idea is is that every time you give generously, um, we have to be good stewards of God's uh, treasures. So we have to be careful who we give to and that they use it right. But generally, the attitude should be that every um thing that we give is, a, is a, an act of worship to God. And how those people or how those organizations use those resources, after we've done due diligence, there's still going to be some corruption in the process, is between them and God. But what God honors is the joyful heart that you gave generously as an act of worship to Him. They just happen to be the beneficiaries. You know, I, Scripture has this principle, I, I call it the sowing
3: and reaping principle. Those who so generously, will reap generously, and if you don't, you will reap less. Um, scripture, New Testament um, giving. I think in Second in, in Corinthians nine, it talks about each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, anyway. For God loves a cheerful giver. We should be generous as Christians. One of the issues, the the question referred to uh, discerning on enabling people. That's one of the issues with our modern welfare system, by the way. It can't make those kinds of discernments, and it doesn't. Uh, But those who are close, you know when someone doesn't need a handout, they need some help, they need some counseling, they need some treatment, they need something other than just financial assistance, and that's all our welfare system sees. And Christians, in their giving, can be that
1: discerning in giving to others. You know, I don't know why the translators use the word cheerful. Because I look at the Greek word, and it means hilarious. (laughs) And it actually does. It means a hilarious giver. That is a person that is so enamored by Jesus that they're ready to give everything they've got to those in need. Now, I agree with you, Greg. I've been a pastor a long time. I get people knocking at my door for money all the time. Mm. And some of it's a game. I know that. But there are other people that have genuine needs and I've learned to try to go beyond even what they're asking for, helping them get a job, helping them get a car, helping them move ahead so they can get their life going again. My nature is, though, I'm selfish. I like what I've got. I'm not real ready to give it away. And so when the Bible says that I need to become a hilarious giver, it is opposite of my nature except by
2: the power of Jesus living in me. But And, and so often we go ahead and restrict our giving to financial resources. When the scripture talks about being a steward of our time, talent, and treasure. So how much of your time are you giving? And that's what you're referring to, Tom. How much of your treasure are you giving? How much of your talent are you contributing? So all of that is part of giving generously.
0: So if I'm a hilarious giver. Why am I so against buying you guys pizza? <laughs> We've been you're asking cheap. that question a long time. Because <laughs> you're cheap. All right, there's, there's the answer.
1: Uh, all right. If, <laughs> this is called guilt. Though, yeah. Right, yeah. Dish it up, guys. Go ahead.
0: Uh, Ephesians four thirty two says that we must forgive one another like God forgives us in Christ. How then can Christians say they have forgiven someone but refuse to talk to or even see that
2: person? Well, again, it depends on the circumstance. For instance, if somebody has come into your family, for instance, and has created great cause, uh, chaos and damage uh, because of, let's say, addiction or or something else, um, you can forgive them, but that doesn't mean that they're going to continue to stay in your home. You have to be vigilant about what you're doing because you're called to protect your family as well. So the idea is you can forgive them, which means that you choose not to seek revenge on them by whatever means, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be at your supper table because their habit has been to destroy anything that they've touched. But you could still forgive them, but there are boundaries that you have to set.
3: Totally agree with that.
2: If someone steals from
3: you... You can forgive them, but you're not going to put them in charge of the piggy bank after that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not? No. <laughs> you know, the the Lord says, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Well, we've kind of lost in the idea of forgiveness, is we think forgiveness means we've got to be in love with this person now and bend over backwards for them. What it's really saying is when you forgive, you take the sword out of your hand. You give the sword to the Lord and let the Lord deal with that person, and you treat that person respectfully doesn't mean you need to invite them in for every meal. Um, I've had people come in, and this is the hard part in my ministry, and uh, I've actually turned in four pedophiles to the police Hmm. because I'm under obligation as a pastor to do that. That's right. And I've had people come in and tell me how their daughter or they were accosted by an uncle or somebody else, and they say, I know I'm to forgive, but I can't forget this, and it's hurt me all my life. And so we have to talk about how do you practically go about that. And basically what I try to do is help them to understand they've got to put down the sword of vengeance. Let the Lord take care of that. But that doesn't mean they have to have them over for Thanksgiving. Absolutely. It doesn't mean they have to have an ongoing conversation with them. Until these people come to genuine repentance and really deal with that, what they've done. And even then it's hard. If if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you, you I mean, I think you
3: know that. You recognize it. You have that that bitterness, that root of bitterness that's, that's just always constantly gnawing at you, once you release it to the Lord, as you were just describing, Tom, you give it up to Him, and then that peace can come. You've forgiven them. You've, you've you forgave them and given it to, the, to God. That doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with the person of again, but that bit, that bitterness that that, uh, that that just gnaws at you is gone, and you'll have peace about that situation.
0: All right, gentlemen, after the book of John... What book do you recommend for a new believer to
2: read? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. Um, one of the books I would recommend is is the book of Romans. Yes. Because it takes you through the whole process of transformation. It talks about the Spirit. And so I would advocate that they read the book of Romans. A lot of doctrine in the book of Romans. All the justification
3: by faith kind of stuff is in Romans. Uh, Acts is another good book. It's kind of the early history of the church mm-hmm. and how... Uh, early Christians acted. Um, the uh, I, I actually I'm an end times t- teacher, right? I love to teach on the end times, and uh, while th- people think I'm crazy, I'll often say the Book of Revelation, and you go, "Are you nuts?" That's the hardest book to understand, and so on and so forth. When you understand God's plan for the end of the age, it's like it's like reading a mystery novel when you know the back of the book. Mr. Green does it with a candlestick in the library, right? You know the back of the book. I never the rest... trusted Mr. Green. No, yeah, yeah. No. The rest of
2: the book... You never forgave him, Bill? No, no, I never forgave
3: him. The, the rest of the book makes a lot more sense yeah. when you know the back of the book. We win, and so much of God's
1: plan for the end of the age is in the rest of the book. I agree with everything you said. I throw in the book of Philippians because Philippians 2 gives us the best picture
2: of Jesus and what he gave up. To get us redeemed. What about Ephesians? Yeah. Yeah. My mentor, J. Robert Clinton, talks about the fact that each of us has a core set of books that we return to repeatedly. And that um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't understand or read the other books of the Bible, but for some reason the Spirit of God keeps bringing us back to certain books of the Bible, certain passages, certain verses, and what his point is, is that God has given you that core set because he wants you to live out of that core set and to teach from that core set and to master that corset set while at the same time having a general mm-hmm. understanding of all of Scripture. So... There are books that you will resonate with and you'll wonder why you so easily resonate with. It may have to do with where you're at in your spiritual maturation that it speaks life to you or it may very well be that's part of the corset that, that God's given you that he wants you to really delve into much deeper. I like the book of maps myself. You
1: know, <laughs> I love the maps at the end of the Bible or somewhere. I love to look at those, but that's not quite the same thing. Yeah. All right, we'll take a very short break
0: and come back. It, we have time for a couple more questions. There's still lots pouring in. So thank you so much for sending your questions over. If you don't hear your question on the air today, I first of all, I apologize. And secondly, we're trying to get into uh, a, a better system of collecting questions that we can ask next time. That doesn't mean you'll be listening next time. So it's a little bittersweet, but uh, we are going to keep track of all the questions that come in. So, we'll be right back. 877-933-2484. You know... Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting... MyFaithRadio.com right, we are in the final round of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Now I've got a bunch of questions so I think what we're going to do in our final round here is uh, one question one answer. Okay. Try to keep things moving. Rapid fire. Kind of rapid fire. So Jeff, I'm looking your direction right now for the first one. Won't the unsaved undergo the sheep and goats judgment in Matthew 25?
3: I think scripture points to the sheep and goat judgment. Uh, the timing of that is at the start of that passage, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Well, I think that's the second coming of Christ. And so the sheep and the goat judgment is the separation of the righteous from the unrighteous at the second coming of Christ. So these are people who lived through the tribulation. Some have believed in our sheep and will enter into the kingdom, others have not believed. And that's when Jesus says, "Depart from me, I never knew you." Away into the fire, into where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and so on. So that's the separation that happens at Jesus is coming right before the kingdom begins.
0: And you can defer to who you would like answer these questions as they sure. come up, but let's just do one answer. The next one is when the great white throne judgment is going on. Where are the Christians,
2: uh- Professor? Yeah, the, the the Christians it says that there's a sea of of um, people that are there, um, and so whether we don't know exactly whether or not they're going to be witnessing this at the great right throne of judgment, but they are there in heaven. They're not going to be, I think, segregated to their mansion, <laughs> so they might be witnessing it as the glory of God demonstrating His justice. And um, so it's very well that they could be seeing this going on. All right. Where does the idea of
0: purgatory come from?
1: Purgatory comes from about, oh, you're going to have to push it back to about the uh, 13th century, somewhere in there, 14th century. Now, they do pull it out of uh, other books, like the Pseudepigrapha and the Apocrypha. They have something there that they use. Is it talked about in Maccabees? Is it? I think there's some language in Maccabees about that as well. But this is what Martin Luther rebelled against when the Reformation came about because he said, there is no biblical basis for this. It is a money maker. That's all it's amounted to. He said, I don't believe there is purgatory. I don't believe the pope has any authority. But if he does, he should empty the place free of charge. And the whole Reformation kind of took off from there in terms of going back to the authority of Scripture. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Can you speak about the Holy
0: Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as well as speaking in tongues or people falling over, being filled with the Holy Spirit? I know when we accept Christ, we
3: receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. In that question is your answer, actually. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that phrase used first by Jesus, actually in the Gospels, is later recounted in the story of Christ of Peter going to Cornelius' house. And when he is speaking to the people in Cornelius' house, it says that the Holy Spirit comes upon all of those who believe. They receive the Holy Spirit. Peter then goes back to the other disciples, and he's recounting this story. And he goes, you won't believe it. The Holy Spirit even came on these Gentiles just as he came upon us. And then he says, then I remembered what the Lord said, that he will baptize With the Holy Spirit. So, scripture is actually clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit. So, the answer is actually in the question. Somebody else want to talk about some of the gifts and tongues and so on? Uh, Really quick, I'll just answer that quick. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, God gives every believer a set of gifts, they're listed out in scripture. Not all Christians receive all gifts. In fact, scripture is very clear that God gives out gifts. As the Spirit determines. And when the Spirit determines. And when. That's right. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Question. Once a
0: person is born again and they sin, if they happen to die before they ask
2: for forgiveness from the Lord, will they still go to heaven? Greg Borgund? That sin has already been forgiven. It was nailed to the cross. It's what we talked about a little bit earlier, that that sin is put behind God. God says, I blot it out. It's gone. It's paid for. If it had to be paid for again, then Christ would have to die on the cross mm. all over again when Jesus himself said, it is finished. So that sin is covered at the cross.
1: When Jesus said, the moment you believe, you pass from death to life. You can't go back to death again. It's taken place. Mm. So...
0: Another question came in when God prepared a place where beings didn't want to be with Him. Well, we're calling that eternal separation. Hell. Hell, yeah. Uh, the question is it, could it be something like a black hole? And there are varying degrees of them, from supermassive to small ones, where it's totally dark, hot, not even light can escape. Can those be prisons for the unrighteous? It's well, hard to believe that spending eternity in your own thoughts without
2: any hope—it's just mind-boggling. Well, first of all, when the Scripture talks about hell, it talks about downward. It talks about even Christ descended into hell and, and for three days um, and preached the, the gospel. And when it talks about heaven, it's always up. So, if we're talking about a physical location, um, going down. Um, is, uh, I'm I'm not sure that the scripture is talking about a black hole out there in space, um, but we actually, in all honesty, we don't know the physical location of
3: hell. Yeah, these are spiritual places, right? I mean, even though hell or Hades specifically is always referred to as down in the depths of the earth, in the earth below, Jesus Mm -hmm. said, in the center of the earth. So it's always pictured as being down, but you can't drill down, into the center of the earth and find Hades. In the same way, you can't take a rocket ship up to heaven because it's not a physical place, it's a spiritual place. So, you know, where is this? It's not a question of where, it's a spiritual place. And remember, the lake of... Also remember, there's two distinct places. There's Hades, where Lazarus and the rich man that we were talking about in the first hour went. That's the holding place, not purgatory, but the place where the lost are being held for that final judgment, after the final judgment of the great white throne, then they're thrown into this other place, this lake of Fire place, and, 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 and that's called the second death. Now, interestingly, we have some descriptions of what happens in Hades. We actually don't have any descriptions, descriptions of what the lake of fire is like. Mm.
0: All right. Uh, with all the news about aliens and UFOs, does
2: the Bible say anything about this?
1: Talk yeah. about aliens? And UFOs.
2: No, No. the Bible does not refer to it. That doesn't rule it out. And just like uh, one of you has said earlier that God's gospel and his redemption is for all of his creation. So even if aliens were real, you know, I've always wondered, Bill, why can't they take any clear pictures of those spaceships? They're always (laughs) Because Bigfoot's taking the picture.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I wish everybody was walking around with their own phone or something with (laughs) their camera. That'd be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be. All right. uh, If you were going to close out today's show, what would you say? Said You've been listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, a special Thursday Guy Talk edition.
1: Or Guys That Talk. And we talk about Jesus and the Word of God. Are you, aren't you going to say anything a little bit, <laughs> a little, a little bit softer,
0: warmer, yeah. encouraging, well, the, prayerful, anything?
2: All right. If, if God is tapping on your soul through the power of the Spirit and convicting you, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've sensed the need to come to clarity about that, He's ready to welcome you with open arms. It's now is the time, not tomorrow, not next week, because you don't know what's going to be happening to you tomorrow or next week. Now's the time to receive Jesus. Don't put it off. Jesus knows everything
1: about us. He knows everything about you, and his hand is still outstretched. Are you talking to the heart of the the person that's listening right now? I'm just talking to myself because it applies to me and it applies to everybody. All right. So the listener, yeah, you reach out. Yeah, he's reached out his hand because he wants us all to come to yeah, him. Bottom of the ninth, two outs. Amen Jeff. and you amen. Got... Can That's we get it? cue
3: cards next time? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to spend on cue cards. And Bill <laughs> is You're the cheap. best host we've oh, ever had. No pizza, That's no cue cards. cards. No nothing. Get the message. <laughs> all, right. all right, quiet down, you guys. i got to close this out.
1: <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. I loved our time together. Uh, we appreciate you supporting Faith Radio and listening to the show. And if you missed any of this, go to the podcast. This has been pretty uh, insightful today, not not only that, but kind of entertaining. So, I hope you have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.